0: Welcome to War Stories. I'm Preston Stewart, and this is a show where we talk about America's military history through the lens of individual acts of heroism and valor. Enjoy. It's a lot of fun diving into the research for these war stories. I've read a lot of military history, so usually, you know, a name sounds familiar, or I'm at least maybe somewhat familiar with that section of Omaha Beach or the DD tanks or whatever it might be. But today I'm excited because this story I'd never heard. Today we're going to talk about Captain Ralph Gorenson, the commander of Charlie Company and the 2nd Ranger Battalion and their work to help open the dog green sector of Omaha Beach. Now Rangers date back to the start of American military history, but what we're talking about today with these Ranger Battalions really began in 1942. At the start of the war, an American general was working as a liaison with the British, and he saw the British commando units. He came back to General Marshall and said, hey, we got to put something together like this. What came out of that was the creation of six ranger battalions. The first through fifth would head to the European Theater of Operations, with the sixth Headed to the Pacific, which makes sense. During World War II, we had what was known as a Germany first strategy, something the Allies all agreed upon. So it follows then that the bulk of the resources, in this case, five out of six Ranger battalions, would head to Europe. Now, when we're talking D Day specifically, that's going to be the second and the fifth Ranger battalions. And they were organized into something known as the Ranger Assault Group. The Ranger Assault Group had three forces underneath it Force A, was led by Lieutenant Colonel James Rudder and consisted of three companies from the 2nd Ranger Battalion. They were tasked with landing landing at and seizing Point Duhawk. That's going to be a story for another day. Force B consisted of Charlie Company of the 2nd Ranger Battalion led by Captain Ralph Gorenson, and they would land on the western side of Omaha Beach. Finally, Force C consisted of eight companies from both the 2nd and the 5th Ranger battalions led by Lieutenant Colonel Max Schneider, they were tasked as reinforcements. They would either go to Point Du Hawk or to reinforce the main landings on Omaha Beach. Now, a major factor when it came to the Normandy landings was tying in the beachheads. So some of them were right up against one another. Others were a good distance apart, like Omaha and Utah, which had about a 12 mile gap between them. Right in the middle, you had Point Du Hawk. Now, that small group at this point, three Ranger companies, if they're not reinforced and tied in with the rest of American lines, they're going to be overrun and wiped out pretty quickly. So, the idea to tie in those lines is to land forces on the western edge of Omaha, closest to Point du Hoc, and have them swing towards the rest of the Ranger unit, tying in, you know, ideally on June 6th, if not shortly thereafter. The westernmost landing beach on Omaha is called the Charlie Sector. It's right up against the Dog Green Sector, which is where Alpha Company of the 116th Infantry would land. This is where Goranson and his men are tasked with landing. Now, Goranson has a couple options, which is unique, and we're going to get more into that later. But when he comes ashore, he's going to either option one go use the, the Veerville draw, exit D1. And this is the one that Alpha of the 116th is tasked with seizing. Remember, this is the one paved exit off of Omaha. If that's open, he's going to move inland through the draw that Alpha Company has opened up and move towards Point du Hoc. If it's not open, he's going to stay in the Charlie sector and navigate the cliffs overlooking the shoreline. Now, Goranson and his men are... You know, technically not the first wave. They're coming in kind of between the first and the second waves. Okay, so the first wave is right around six thirty. Gornson and his men are tasked with coming in around six forty-five. That's before the second wave hits. But part of the idea there is it's going to give them this flexibility to either again move through option one up the Veerville Draw or divert to the west to Charlie Sector. Now the cliffs at Charlie Sector are a part of what's known as Point de la Perse and excuse my French, I'm sorry I didn't nail that right, but the cliffs rise to about 100 feet in certain areas. They're pretty formidable. In fact, just before this operation kicked off, Operation Overlord kicked off, Lieutenant Colonel Rudder said to Captain Gornson, you have the toughest goddamn job on the whole beach. And I think he was getting at a few things. One, it's one company tasked with a pretty serious mission, but also looking at those cliffs, I mean, that's no small feat to get a company up there. It's, it's similar to what uh, what Rudder and his men are going to deal with at Pointe du Hoc. And finally, Gornson has some flexibility. He's given the option to make the decision on the fly. And I think that's something we often overlook when we're looking back at military history, especially something like Omaha Beach and the landings on D-Day. It's easy to think, because we've said before, kind of simplifying history, that we just throw a group of soldiers into combat, you know, your job is to fight or not die, maybe, right? But the reality is every soldier, every platoon, every company that hit Omaha Beach had an objective. They weren't just there to fight until told to do otherwise. I mean, they were to clear the D1 draw and move into Veerville and set up positions on the, I mean one after the other, they had a series of tasks that they were set to set to complete. The idea there is that what you're doing, a good commander, what they're doing is providing intent for the soldiers. So when a question comes up and they might not have somebody right there giving directives, like we saw all across Omaha, as leadership was wiped out left and right, the soldiers generally knew what they needed to get done. So there was never a point where they would just stop on the beach and say, well, my job was just to fight, so I'll just fight. There was always something more they needed to do. That's that's understanding the intent that their commanders lay out. And that's going to be a major part in Gorenson's mission in the Charlie sector. Now at 645 on June 6, 1944, Gorenson and his company, it's two landing craft near the Charlie sector. They're coming ashore in the British landing craft assault, LCAs, which are a little bit different than the common Higgins boat. Used by, the, used by the bulk of the Americans. The British LCA is a little more well-protected, a little more armored on a couple sides. And there's a little bit of an overhang as well to protect from fire from above. But as they are nearing the beach, they start to come under enemy fire. There are machine gun bullets hitting the front ramp before it opens or goes down. Think about that. Think about that. There's a door that you have to move through and there are machine gun bullets rattling off the front of that. At some point, it's going to open. What are you going to do? I mean, it's just luck of the draw, right? Maybe the machine gun stops for a minute. Maybe the bullets are low or high or wide. Imagine that ramp falling. Imagine hearing that right in front of you, feet in front of you, ding, 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 ding. And then the ramp goes down. It's crazy. As soon as they begin to unload, Gorenson's craft is hit by a couple shells. It kills at least 12 of the 37 on board. And then as the ramp falls, the machine gun fire takes a few more rangers down as well. They land a little ways from shore, just like troops did all up and down Omaha and have to, work, have to work through some water before traversing the 300 yards to the bottom of the cliffs. And just like so many soldiers across Omaha Beach, across all of Normandy that morning, they're trying to move as fast as they possibly can in a life or death situation with machine guns, mortars, artillery rounds coming down all around, and they're, they're waterlogged, moving through sand, weighed down with mass amounts of equipment. It's hard to think of being in a situation like that where you just can't go as fast as you want to. Now, Gorenson gets to the base of the cliffs where there's relative safety from the direct fire from the German defenders, and he looks to the dog green sector. He's kind of landed between dog green and Charlie. He looks to the dog green sector. And as we know, it's 645 on the morning of June 6th, dog green sector was a massacre at this point. You know, uh, up to half of the first wave alpha company, the One Sixteenth, has been wiped out. There's landing craft that have disappeared. Others that have, have been blown up and are floating in the surf. It's enough for Goranson to recognize That's not open. They have to go for option two: scaling the cliffs. Now, by the time they reach the base of the cliffs, Goranson Company is down to about thirty men, which is roughly half strength from what they started at. He sends some men to start scouting to the west to find an area to climb. This is something I forget when I'm looking at stories like this. It's not as though they were familiar with the terrain. I mean, they maybe had some. They would have had some pictures and some models to go off of, but. You know, even if they had the opportunity to practice this climb a hundred times, but then you have to do it under fire, that's terrifying. But instead, these guys land on a beach, never having climbed this cliff. I mean, they have a lot of practice climbing, but never having climbed this cliff, they don't know where the best paths are to move to the top. They don't know if there is a good path to get to the top and they're under fire, right? It's crazy. They eventually find an area and a few rangers move to the top of the cliff with ropes. They drop those back down to allow the rest of the force to make their way to the top, but they don't waste any time. The guys that got to the top first immediately take the fight to a few nearby German positions. Now, one benefit of the area they found is it's a little bit out of, not a little bit, it's protected from strong point WN-73. Remember, that's the one that sat on the western edge of, of the of the dog green sector overlooking the D1 draw. It was wreaking havoc on the beaches, but it was also oriented east, shooting down the beach. Remember, a lot of the German defenses didn't look out to the ocean, but looked, you know, along the beach to shoot either east or west, depending on where they were situated. This spot that Goranson's men find to, to scale the cliff is out of direct fire, is not, it's within range, but they're protected from direct fire which makes it easier, right? If you have to do this in combat, it's nice if it's at least not while you're being fired upon by machine guns. Gorenson makes his way to the top of the cliff at 7.15. 30 minutes after landing. That's really fast. Once he gets to the top, after seeing the devastation and slaughter on the dog green beach, he makes a decision. Another one of these moments where a junior leader makes a call that, you know, save the day is probably a little bit over the top, but contributed in a very large way. How about that? Gornson decides that he's going to attack Dog Green rather than swing west towards Point Duhawk. Nearest to him is Strongpoint WN-73. We talked about in a previous episode, the main weapon system in this strong point, or one of the main weapon systems, is a 75-millimeter gun that is just hammering Alpha Company, and the reinforcements coming ashore from the 116th Infantry. Now, to their benefit, as mentioned, it's facing east. The main weapon systems are looking down the beach. So they can kind of attack from the side and the back, but it's not as though the German positions were only looking in one direction. There were still machine gun emplacements and mortars and barbed wire and, and um, firing points looking in every direction. As they approach WN-73, they come across a fortified house filled with, now it had been destroyed by naval fire and, and uh, well, probably from naval fire because bombs didn't do, have much of an effect before D-Day. The house was destroyed, but there were still Germans manning the trenches all around the house, firing down into the dog green sector. So Gornson leads his men into the trenches. They start clearing bunkers, machine gun firing points, dugouts, mortar positions, Anything they can reach and overrun, they do. But remember, he's down to half strength, only around 30 men, and it's going to be a challenge for him to push too far and and overextend his lines. I mean, if they're not careful, they'll get wiped out, and now this little beachhead that they have in the Charlie sector will be gone. Gornson doesn't necessarily have the strength to completely overrun these strong points, but he has enough to start knocking away German defenders on the edges. And that's what he does. Throughout the rest of the morning into the early afternoon, well, throughout the rest of the morning, they're engaging German defenders that are firing both on his men and down onto the dog green sector. And before long, they're joined with soldiers from the 29th Infantry Division coming off of the dog green sector of Omaha Beach. So there's some success. They distracted the strong point just enough taking fire from multiple sides now to give a little bit of breathing room to those men that came ashore in what was one of the worst areas on all of D-Day. In turn, the 116th eventually, with help from a couple other units, helps to secure the D-1 exit and open it by the end of June 6, 1944. And by mid-afternoon, Gornson would be able to turn his attention west and start making his way towards Point Du Hawk. Remember part of that initial mission set. It was a long hard fight to get over there. Ideally they were linking up with the, you know, Force A from the Ranger, from the rest of the Rangers on June 6th, but they wouldn't actually link up until the morning of the 8th. Now for his actions that day on the Charlie sector and eventually the Dog Green sector of Omaha. Captain Ralph Gornson was awarded the Distinguished Service Cross, second only to the Medal of Honor for valor. Gornson would survive the war, make it home, and passed away in 2012. Now, these weren't the only Rangers to scale cliffs on D-Day. There's, of course, the incredible story, the Battle of Pointe du Hoc, happening just down the coast. And that's next time on War Stories.